Church Leaders Roundtable Podcast. I am Sarah and here with my co-hosts, Kevin. Hey there. Darren. Hey, hey. And Stacy. Everyone. And so this month, we are introducing a new topic. We're going to talk about all things finances, money, how it relates to the church personally. Um, and so let's take it away. All right. So I'll I'll jump in because... Somebody said it was my beach ball earlier. Um, so straight out of college, so that everybody else knows, straight out of college, I was a financial advisor. I worked for a uh, very prestigious uh, nationwide firm that happens to own kind of the Rose Bowl. It was a it was a really good experience working there, and you just like you learn a lot of stuff just being immersed in that culture of finance and everything and one of the things that i discovered really really early on is that which i think is no secret to anybody but like churches teach about finances wrong which again i think is no secret to anybody when you've got a pastor who has his phd in and i say he very specifically uh, his PhD in Greek and or biblical Greek and Hebrew, and he's giving a money series on giving and why you should give. And like I said, learned really early on that, like just a lot of the things that we say about money in the church aren't necessarily true or correct. So, like, there's there's a thousand different things that I can say about this. Um, could talk about why. Uh, the person that owns the university that brings you financial peace is a total hack and a liar. We're going to um, right away. <laughs> I could talk about how budgets should be made and have to be made. Could talk about savings. Could talk about tithing. Um, and so... What what do y'all like? I said I could talk for hours about this. I do talk for hours about this. So what do y'all want to get into? What do y'all want to hear about? Well, as always, I'm gonna talk about my traumas and insecurities Perfect. around money, <laughs> around financial planning, around like the embarrassment that we have for not knowing things that also didn't happen to be taught in school, right? Because they were just teaching us to be consumers. Oh, I saw a really good t- TikTok about that today. The credit um, system's a sham. You said the what system? The credit system's a credit system. It's a sham, but it's a scam. Right. Yeah, it's both. It, it, it's it's demonizing in so many ways. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I show I show up I show up to the conversation with that with my own insecurities, but I also show up with the eye toward how money is so like critical in us maintaining oppression and injustice mm. um and the systems that you know there's so many churches for example that i know that would be affirming but the people who give the most money are not affirming so everyone in the church just has to suffer because something i like to say which i re- recognize is purely from a place of privilege is that money money is made up and money isn't real and there's right. always going to be more money. And as true as that might be, because literally all the American dollar, all of the money, monetary systems in the world today are literally just made up of what governments say their money should be worth compared to other governments' money. 
Like that's it. There's there's no other rhyme or reason to it. That's that's all it is. And so I fully recognize that saying that money is made up comes from a place of privilege, even though it is true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of financial trauma comes from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even just like we just bought a house. We're waiting on closing day right now. And like they do a deep dive into everything. Every single night I wake up at least once a night thinking, what if they find out? Like, what if somebody stole my identity and and they figure this out? And like, I haven't seen it. I mean, it's like you should not wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking that your house is going to fall through because of something that you can't control or that you can't pay for medical bills because of something that you can't control or that you're going to finish paying off a credit card and the credit card company is going to shut it down. And so that's actually going to lower your credit score by 50 points, even though you've got less debt now than you did a week ago. What, what world does that make sense in? It doesn't is the answer. Our financial system doesn't make sense at all. Agreed. Yep. And this is coming again. That's that's why I said this at the beginning. This is coming from a former financial advisor. I've got a degree in business. I have studied financial systems for easily 10 years of my life. Like the financial system is a joke. It's all made up. Economists that say they know what's happening are lying to you. Bankers that say they know what's happening are lying to you. Stockbrokers that say they know what's happening are lying to you. And they are all trying to sell you something. So apparently we're going to be really conservative on this series. <laughs> Save all your money. A lot we right. can go into. I have, I think my my lens is, you know, personally um, growing up in, for lack of better words, so to speak, poverty, single income, um, had had to work at 14 years old to just support, you know, my expenses, um, help my mom out. And so the, Darren, when you mentioned the, the trauma and around money and like spending money, I feel some of that because spending money is, and talking about money and budgeting. And I've learned to just like, I can stretch a dollar, mm-hmm. but it, the anxiety that comes from just different aspects of money, you know, am I going to make ends meet, even if I know I can make in, ends meet, mm-hmm. Um, being the first person in my family on both sides of my family to, to go to college, fully funded on loans, then to come back, um, and be, I am, I am a victim of the Dave Ramsey (laughs) financial peace university (laughs) and fell fell (laughs) fell into, yes, I am a survivor now. I I fell into (laughs) all of that, trying to get my way out of the student loans that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from just personally, I also have the lens of just working in the community and seeing um, different nonprofits and how um, I've been a grant writer, I've managed grants, I've managed organizational budgets and all of that. So just looking at like how money is allocated and spent in the community poorly, what's done right, um, all, all that, all that involved. Yeah, the the whole thing behind money, like there are, there are good principles. There are definitely good principles behind money, and and 
we'll get into we can get into this um after stacy you if you want to kind of give your background um but like there are definitely good and accepted principles behind money things that you should do with money things that you should not do with money um for example if you don't have to go into credit card debt you probably shouldn't like just plain and simple i say that as somebody who has credit card debt but if you don't have to it's better not to right i I don't think there's anybody that would argue that um if you don't have to take out student loans it's better to not take out student loans again this is coming from somebody who has fifty thousand dollars in student loans um and i'm just starting my master's so that's just gonna go up like there there again there are definitely good principles to have and then things that should be outright ignored um and we'll we'll get into those uh here in a second but stacy if you want to give a little bit of your financial background so to speak go around on the head yeah so my family my dad was our sole worker growing up um my mom she babysat but um if you're familiar with like in-home daycares unlicensed or licensed daycares um the daycare providers don't really make anything really and so my dad was definitely the primary breadwinner, but even what he did as a farm laborer was not much. And um, I was just talking to my husband about this earlier today as we were discussing our topic for tonight. And I was like, I honestly don't know how my parents managed to raise four children on my dad's income. And uh, granted, we the cost of living where we were at was super low. We're in rural Minnesota, you know, so it's like, there's a huge difference from that, from living in a big city, obviously, but you still have certain expenses, you know? And um, so there were different things that, you know, didn't probably help our circumstances in that my parents didn't talk about finances with us. They didn't teach us about any of them. Um, and our church growing up really didn't ever talk about finances either. So we didn't have like any financial training. I remember late in high school having like a business financial class that I took and I actually love that. And I did learn a little bit there that helped, but I didn't like, it wasn't like a, here's how to save money class, (laughs) which is what, I really needed because when I got into high school, like Sarah, I had to take on a job. Like I did lots of babysitting and I worked, um, I was a piano teacher and I worked at our diner. So I was doing stuff, but it was also, I could have like maybe a brand name pair of jeans that I wanted or something like that, that my parents definitely wouldn't be able to afford. Or if I wanted to go see a movie with my friends or something like that, that's all what it was for. So, you know, I struggled through college, student loans. I put in two years in a private Christian college that pretty much um, took me decades to pay off 
even just for two years because I'm sorry being, for your loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it's just one of those things where you, it, for me, it seemed like a continual struggle through life. Like there were desperate times and sometimes desperate measures that you definitely had to take mm-hmm. to survive financially in this world and still haven't arrived. So waiting for that lottery check to come through one of these days, you know, <laughs> lottery check or estranged, super rich uncle that for some reason oh, loves you and that, that leaves you half a million dollars. That'd be yeah. nice too. Yeah. I have, I have a Nigerian prince that is in my Facebook inbox promising me that oh. if I buy into the Bitcoin, Mm-hmm. That um, I'm going to be able to be a trader, and I'm going to be so rich. I just need to sign up for something. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just, just got to sign up. Sounds promising, Darren. It's I got promising. a sugar daddy, right? I now listen, I have no, I have no objections <laughs> to the sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. <laughs> if everyone's nope. consenting, if everyone's of you know sound yep. mind and free to completely Agreed. walk sound away mind, in full safety, yep. yeah, of age. But this guy did not even look like he was old enough to be a sugar sugar daddy. Hey, as long Five as he's got the older than me, maybe you can you can be younger. You can yeah. be sugar. You could you could run a credit check on him. It's fine. <laughs> Regardless, I knew it was likely a scam, and I was not getting lucky. Scam with likely invent- was calling you. Invent- <laughs> scam likely <laughs> to have um, that opportunity. It was. I was funny. I was thinking about something that uh, Stacy shared about the like the church aspect for it, mm-hmm. because like money and church again with each of my different seasons um, looked different. Like in the Catholic Church, the main thing about money was having enough money to afford Catholic school because that's where I went for mm-hmm. uh, Catholic or at least private schools were my my best uh, elementary school years. Um, and so that was probably the only kind of money talk I had during those those years. And usually that came in the form of, well, you need to to be a part of fundraising, which looking back, I'm like, I had no idea what we were doing or why. It was just like a thing you did every year. It's like time to do fundraisers. It was taffy apples and world's finest chocolate and <laughs> and bake sales in the church basement. And mm-hmm. it's always about food, wasn't it? Interesting. Mm-hmm. But fundraise and then we on tv you would see like the neighborhood kids car wash or you'd see the uh the lemonade stand which again like it was always like five cents for a cup of lemonade mm-hmm. who who set me up for the failures in my business <laughs> pricing <laughs> i want someone to be responsible it's a dollar a cup darren a dollar <laughs> a cup you know you know, because clearly they're getting over on us for these bottled waters that are like four and five dollars. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. But that being said, uh, there was the there was that the fundraising that was about it, and then it was a Catholic church, so there wasn't like a lot of guilting about tithing and and giving the ten percent. I didn't even know what That's tithing good. was until I got to a charismatic non denominational church. Then it was a whole different story because. Well, the pastor doesn't take a, a salary, so we got to raise money and give an offering to the pastor. 
And that involved, once again, food. We we baked mm-hmm. cookies and sold them. And these were like famous in Chicago. These oh. church butter cookies or the lunchroom butter cookies is how some people knew them. Oh. Um, but there was, there was that. There were all kinds of like special offerings. And you had this line for this blessing. And then this line, if you, if you want a financial miracle. And there's five people in the room. Five people in the room who can give $500 tonight. Yes. And it was like church full of people, you know, not an affluent congregation right. of people, right. but folks who were regularly responding to these things, often with, you know, these kind of spiritual blessings promised and attached. And when you're new to it and don't realize that this happens like at least once a month, if not every week, you like give these ridiculous amounts. Oh, this is, this is a special time. And, And then all of a sudden you don't have your rent money or whatever, but yeah, that was wild. But then moving out of that into a larger church where for the first time I experienced a church with a unified budget. And so it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the, 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 the youth group raising funds against the men's club who was also raising funds from the same pot or pool of people against the, you know, missionary team right. instead it was like okay well this is the budget for this, this is the budget for that here's a transparent sheet of where all the expenses were i was like oh, you actually tell people where the money went <laughs> i've never seen that yeah. like counting the offering was like more secure than than the president it was it was so secret <laughs> it was so in the background but of course, you know, the, the faithful ones would get blessed with a car and blessed mm-hmm. with the, you know, whatever. But at the same time, there's all kinds of underhanded, shady stuff going yeah. on. Totally. So it was just so interesting to, to move into a space that was a lot more like we have we have an outside agency that audits this every year. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Should be. Unheard of. That's Yep. That's the right way to do it. And since you're talking about it, um, you brought up tithes and so i want to say god requires actually like 30 or 40 percent of the israelites in leviticus numbers deuteronomy oh now you're shaking the table i know i know hold on it's about to get better uh so god requires upwards of 30 percent of the israelites in the old testament in micah the prophet says 10 percent and that's where we get the concept of tithing from. That's where we get the, hey, you need to give a 10% of your income, is what people say. And then people, I've seen people get get all pressed and stressed about uh, the, the stimulus money that's come in as well. And I'm like, whatever, like it does not involve you. Jesus and the apostles, where who are, by the way, where we take our cue from, they require that we be generous, period. Jesus doesn't say that there's a specific percentage that we need to give of our income. The apostles don't say that there's a specific percentage that we need to give our of our income. But what we are told over and over is that we need to be generous. So, and this is gonna this might ruffle some feathers, but if there's a church out there that says that you must give 10% or you must, I was at a church once, like just passing through that said that you had to actually give 20% because 10% 
was the like standard and God is calling you to give 10% above that. And I'm like, that's, that's bad theology. Like, like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so what God requires of you is to be generous. And if there's a church that says 10%, that you must give 10%, that everybody's got to give 10%, that church isn't preaching gospel. That church isn't preaching Bible. That church is taking words and twisting them for their own benefit. Um, and if they go the f- next step and say that God will bless you if, mm-hmm. that's called prosperity gospel. Yeah. No matter how we we cover it up, no matter how we what 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 frills we put on it. If uh, I was at a church, I worked at a church where the pastor uh, had me giving, it just happened to be that I was giving the like, the the tithing sermon. And I talked about it's a whole other sermon. I'm familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And so I talked him down from giving, from talking about tithing specifically to talking about like all the things that we need to give to God. So like our time, our talents, our, was it time, talents, temple, tithe there was a fifth t but like i i I had it all it's somewhere on my computer the alliteration i had all the alliteration yeah um but what he wanted me to say was that god would bless the church if everybody gave 10 percent. and i was like no that's that's prosperity gospel like and he's like no 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 no, it's not because and he gave some explanation for i'm like no that's still prosperity gospel um and we can all get against prosperity gospel. It is manipulative. But that's, again, that's what uh, the person behind the university says, is that the first thing that you need to do is give 10% to God. And so then God will bless you and take you out of debt. Then God will bless you and give you access. Then God will bless you and make it so that you never have to use a credit card again. and Again, that's manipulative, like you said, Sarah. And that's also bad theology because God doesn't work that way. God isn't a tit-for-tat God. God blesses us when God chooses to. And that's it. Like, there's there's nothing we can do. That's the whole gospel. There's nothing we can do (laughs) to be blessed by God. Um, And so, again, Darren, since you mentioned it, I wanted to, to get that clear in people's heads. Yeah. Um, I mean, pe- people are going to be feel free to disagree, and they can disagree. Like, Our email is in the show notes. That's <laughs> it. I'm choosing violence this week. I, I dare you to challenge me. My Instagram <laughs> and my Facebook are in the show notes as well. If you disagree, please feel free to reach out and let me know how you disagree, and I can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> I, I knew someone who who like. In their deconstruction process, they made like a really big stance on tithing only being toward the or from the agricultural produce of the nation and not from like just how much money you make. Um, But it's, it's just interesting to see money become such a big conversation Mm -hmm. and, um, like also having a, having this experience with having been in a in a large church or what some refer to as a mega church, where 
um, on the one hand, people from the outside would look at the size of the institution that that was and say, all that all that church and they ain't doing nothing for the community. Like it's like the automatic assumption. And there's plenty of churches that don't do anything for the community outside of their mm-hmm. four walls. But um, but for my church, we were the largest uh, we're the largest um, food bank in the count in the county that we were in or that church because we had multiple sites. But that site was the largest food bank, and the food bank because it was like no, we're going to do this nice. It was a, it was like walking into a Whole Foods mm-hmm. where you had wow. things that were, that were displayed and you had a clothing, you know, closet access. You had all kinds of stuff That's and awesome. shopping carts and you had a humanizing experience yeah. rather than well, come and sit down and listen to this sermon. Cause you know, you're poor. So clearly you have to listen to a sermon to get food. Clearly you're not spiritual enough Clearly, because if you were close to God, then you wouldn't be poor. But also if you're poor, we say that you're rich in the spirit. Oh, maybe we need to also address the fact that we place a certain holiness on people who have riches, who are wealthy, who have a lot of money more often than anything, because automatically we decide that the doctor who's making $200,000 a year and has a 4,000 square foot house, obviously they're blessed by God. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that they make six figures, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not, that's not what I'm mm-hmm. saying right. is bad. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is bad is saying that, well, you have wealth in this way. So obviously God is blessing you. Like, no, God doesn't work like that. That's called retribution theology is the proper name for prosperity gospel. And that's wrong. That's yes. not the way God works. If you want an example of that, you can go look at the book of Job in the Old Testament because that's not how God works. Come through. Yeah. It's, I wanted to like, I wanted to touch on the, the tithing piece from like the receiving end and being someone who thought that that was the way that, you know, I was told I, I, was supposed to tithe, but also the anxiety that it brought on as a college student, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. like what was that? Why was I stressing about tithing as a teenager Mm -hmm. when I'm making, I don't even know what minimum wage was at the time, five, $6 an hour. And I had to, you know, pay, I mean, some thinking specifically senior year, I bought my own car. It was some old like Dodge spirit, like Ooh, with yes. the roll down, you had to roll down your own windows <laughs> yes. and um, the oil indicator never works. I always had to check my own oil because I never knew if I was going to burn the oil. The I had one thing. of those too. I checked, mm-hmm. I checked um, my own oil anyway. But it was my baby and I bought it and I worked hard for it and paying all these bills. But like mm-hmm. having to stress about tithing mm-hmm. because it was what I was told and then feeling guilty if I couldn't tithe or if I didn't mm-hmm. tithe. Or, you know, that I'm not trusting um, the Lord enough because what you're supposed to do is trust mm-hmm. the Lord instead of accurately budget and just give the tithe right away. And then what, what is it? God will do more with the 90% or something than you could with the hundred, what mm-hmm. people say. So all these, like these things. And I just remember so many times, like just stretching, even though I knew like my budget was only going to cover, like I was really good at budgeting and I didn't really, you know, I try to stay within my means and all that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm a college student. I had, I was in debt. I had, was trying to work as many jobs as possible on top of going to college full time. And, um, it, it was just, it was insanity, like that aspect of, and then feeling like if something bad happened, that it was because I didn't tithe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know like within my family, specifically that being told of if bad things happened in the family, if bills got shut off, well, we didn't tithe. So, you know, and so this is like all where my mind and like that guilt goes Mm -hmm. to. So, and I know that I'm not the only one that probably shares like that guilt and that anxiety Mm -hmm. around tithing or not tithing, but not understanding that like, I can't tell you how many hours I probably serve the community and give of my, like my physical time, just working and having been someone that is worked in the community and just different aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I mean, we could talk about nonprofit salaries too. We should. (laughs) And all the extra time that I put in beyond what I was actually getting paid Mm -hmm. for. Yeah. And how much dedication and blood, sweat and tears that I put, you know, serving my community. So and that's that's that part of it where we we qualify and esteem financial like directly monetary giving but we we're literally like stealing wages mm-hmm. for people's labor that's often above and beyond financial giving and we don't even acknowledge it as such mm-hmm. and we make people feel bad when there's a volunteer who would do the same thing for free, of yep. uh, why? Well, why should you get paid to do what you do in the church? It's supposed to be, supposed to be for God, and you know we we just kind of do this guilt and shame narrative that I am, I am calling out in the church because um, again, what does it serve? What what is the fruit of that? People being fearful, people um, being burnt out and people mm-hmm. doing all of this with the feeling that somehow they have not given enough when this, this is not an, an, an effort of works, you know? Yeah. Um, and then just the part where things like flat percentages affect the poor more than they do people who are more affluent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't, we don't put that into perspective. We say, but it's only 10 cents on the dollar. But if you only have a dollar, there's a whole lot more you have right. to get out of that dollar than you yeah, have right. to get out of that hundred dollars, you know, like dollars or that ten thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's just not the same at the lower end of the scale as it is at the upper end. And um, yeah, we, we just we we just hurt people and we and we invalidate people rather than realizing that the church is caught up in a capitalistic pattern. It's ca- mm-hmm. it's caught up inside of a system that makes us do uh, again the flip sides of these things. That makes us look at churches and say churches need to be taxed. You know, what, for whatever reason, I, I'm 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 not necessarily pro or against churches paying taxes. But people do this as if churches are the ones who are getting over. Well, we got corporations mm-hmm. that profit billions a year and don't pay taxes. And also because right. of the loopholes. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like we could we could wipe out churches by taxing them. But then there's corporations that are just making billions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And profiting fist hand over fist, yet most of their employees 
Walmart and Amazon. Most of their employees <laughs> are on public assistance that we also seem to hate for some reason in the church. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many things to get into. Yeah. Right. There's right. so, so many things. We could, I mean, I'm serious when I say I could talk for hours about this. Um, but again, I go back to kind of two stories in the Bible. The first being uh, the widow in the temple. You know, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple and a a widow goes and drops the singular coin that she has into the offering plate. And Jesus says, she is more blessed than all of you. And he's talking to, to the people gathered there to worship. He's talking to his disciples and he's talking to the religious elite. And he says, this woman is more blessed than all of you because she is generous with what she has, is what he says. And he gets into a teaching about that. And then later in the book of Acts, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who, or Sapphira, who sell a piece of property and they want to give money to the apostles, to, to the church to do something with. And they decide to keep a little bit for themselves and they lie to the church and say, this is all we got out of it. And, and they're punished for that. And it's about, it's not about how much you give because regardless of how much this couple was holding back, they were giving more than this widow who gave a singular coin right? Put whatever monetary value you want on that. It's about the generosity. It's about the heart behind it. And so I've had pastors who get mad at me because, um, and again, when I preached this two years ago or something, uh, my senior pastor got mad at me because I said that it doesn't matter how much you give, as long as you give it willingly, you give it guilt-free, and you give it joyfully more than guilt free you give it joyfully so if that means 10% which some people can do fantastic if that means that you give a dollar every week and that's all you can spare and you can give that joyfully even better and if that means like so many people i know that all you can give is your time because you don't have any extra money in your budget to to tithe but you've got time on sunday mornings to give to the children's ministry or to the coffee team or whatever that like God sees that. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a lot more God honoring than saying, than some dude who owned, what was it? $5 million in real estate when he was 24 (laughs) and now owns this piece of financial (laughs) university, uh, corporation. Mm -hmm. nice like god honors the little bits that we give whether that's time whether that's talents whether that's money whether that's just honestly taking care of our own bodies and our relationship with god a lot more than the religious leader who walks into the middle of the church and says i'm giving 10 percent of my income this month for everybody to see like there's actual teaching against that too um but people churches don't like to talk about that um and something i've started to kind of change in the way i uh, coach other churches is to stop talking about their to stop talking about their church about their mission as a 
as a church, as a, hey, God wants you to do this, and to start talking about it as a nonprofit organization in general, right? Like we were, again, when I was in finance, we were donors of the Houston Symphony. Um, we gave a certain amount of money and we were put on a list and it was, it was super fun, I'm not gonna lie. But what they did and what they, like, because we we stopped donating because we moved away, and so because of that, we still get emails. We're still like in the Facebook groups and everything. And something that they're constantly doing is putting in front of people, hey, this is what we're doing with what you give. This is what this is like what your gifts, what your donations, what your whatever does for the organization. These are all the ways that we're able to profit other communities, not ourselves. This is how we're able to help other communities. These are the initiatives we take into schools. These are the initiatives that we do in the community. This is what we're doing with with the impoverished um, part of town and the ways that our musicians are are going out and doing this stuff. And also, here's a little benefit for you. Um, But more than anything, it's just, here's what we're doing out there. And churches, I think, need to start looking at that way of promoting themselves, if I can say that, um, as saying, hey, here's what we're doing out in the community. Here are the people that we're feeding. Here are the people that we're housing. Here are the initiatives that we're funding because of what you're doing. Here are the lives that are being touched as opposed to, hey, we need to keep the lights on. Uh, I remember, again, my last senior pastor saying this specifically, these lights aren't cheap and these instruments aren't cheap. And this building isn't cheap, so you need they to you need phrase. to give your money. Oh, I know. So you need to give your money. And every single time he said that, he would complain at the next staff meeting because giving somehow inexplicably went down. <laughs> and I'm like, because people oh, yes, <laughs> and I love being guilted. I know. I always told him that, like, dude, it's because people don't care about the lights. And that church specifically, like, did not care about the lights. They did not care about the building. They, <laughs> it was a new building with new lights and and a new way of doing things. And like, they wanted their old way of doing things. So anytime you reminded them of the new way of doing things, they were like, "We don't like this. We don't want this. We want to go back to what was." So if this is expensive, we're gonna we're gonna drain you, essentially. Uh, which again, unhealthy also. But <laughs> we're not talking about that. Um. But when you put people up front, when you say, hey, this is what we're doing, and here are the ways that we're changing the community around us, that actually makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly people aren't guilted into uh, supporting you. They want to support you. They want to be a part of what you're doing. They want to, which is, again, the right way to do things. And maybe that means that churches actually have to do stuff in their community. Maybe that means that churches actually have to live out the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Maybe that means that we actually have to care for the widow and the orphan and take care of the immigrant and take care of the people who are impoverished around us and fight against injustice and fight against oppression and help out the least of these. Because, by the way, when Jesus says, what you did for the least of these you did to me, he's, he's not patting them on the back. Mm-hmm. He's saying, hey, you treat these people, and I'm sorry here, you treat these people like shit, and you're treating me like shit. Yeah. 
when he says yeah. the poor will always be with you, he's condemning the the people around him, saying, you're not doing jack shit for the people around you. And this I mean, is always going to be an issue with you. And so, again, yeah. it, less a... Not not so much a a lesson for us to learn, I think, because um, be generous, give where you want to give, and like that's that's literally all I've got to say about giving to your church is be generous and give where you want to give. If your church isn't doing stuff that you like them doing, stop giving it to your church. Period. Give find somebody else. Um, but then to churches, to to nonprofit organizations, to church leaders, saying, "Hey, you need to actually." do something in your community your your uh, midweek programs your bible studies on on tuesday morning aren't aren't it jesus didn't call us for bible right. studies jesus called yeah. us for feeding the widow and the orphan yeah and it doesn't have to be that hard like it seems like it could be hard and i i feel like i repeat this all the time on many episodes about partnering with community organizations but the other piece that that you brought up about like the finance piece. Um, there's a big gap in like community organizations with access to funding. You know, every organization is fighting over the same funders, the same organizations we're going after. I mean, that's the whole, you know, sustainability and funding is, is an issue, but like if churches would act as like, you know, like a funder and actually, you know, have like a process, an application process, actually do know some churches that have been able to do that, but funds that are coming from churches versus funds that are coming from the state are going to be a lot less unrestricted. So that's easier for a nonprofit organization versus having restricted funds that are like, you can only spend it here, 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 here on what we say you can, and you're going to be monitored, which mon being monitored is a good thing, but um, really, really, really strict. Like you can use it for your youth program program, but you can't buy food you know, or you can't buy this or you can't buy that. Um, but being able to have churches be that source to be a funding source. So, you know, there are churches and there are people in the church that just want to give money. They don't want to, they're people that just want to write a check. And that's fine because you can use that opp those opportunities instead of having it sit I was floored to kind of learn like churches that just have pots of money just like sitting and I don't know <laughs> what the accounts are called. I don't, you know, Kevin, but like just pots of money just sitting away. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the community and people in these organizations that are doing all this work are fighting for funding mm -hmm. and losing funding. And it's, it's a hassle. I mean, finding funding, that was the most stressful part of my job. Grant writing. You, if anyone has ever written a grant and you don't know how many hours like you spend writing a grant, not knowing if you're going to get it or not, like right. all that time. Um, and then, you know, soliciting other fun fundraising avenues. It, I feel like there is really like a, a, a way that churches can really strengthen their partnerships with other community organizations in terms of a funding standpoint, but then also with like getting on board and actually doing work with nonprofit organizations so that these organizations aren't so strapped and stretched mm -hmm. while churches yeah. are just sitting on pots of money. Yeah. I was really impressed. There was a church that I was on staff with for a while here in town. And I, I wasn't real active in the church other than just being on staff. I'll admit <laughs> because I just, I didn't feel a part. It was just a weird situation, but anyway, they, 
gave to one of the local organizations in town and they had a like a regular fund for it but they also raised money for it they had the youth get involved with it and I always thought that that was really interesting that they donated to the organization as opposed to giving on their own. And at the time, I thought it was really odd. I'm like, well, why would they donate to this community organization and why not just do it themselves? But the way that you talk about it and now a few years out from that, I see the benefit of working with a community organization that's already established, already has like the government like backing and so forth to do the work they they know how to do the work they have the people that yeah that are already a part of this organization and so now i definitely see the benefit of that and i wish like i do think that that other churches that that's what they need to do because they don't have like they may have one or two people in the church that are familiar with doing things a certain way like with or an organization but they don't have the manpower to be the organization to support people in all these different ways that's why i know a lot of times it's easy just to say when if somebody calls up the church and they're not a part of your church community we say we'll just call 211 Mm-hmm. At least for us, that's the number, the local number to call yeah, for help. I think that's the federal number. Yeah. yeah. So we're just always like, we'll just call 211. Or we might have a list of food banks or something like that in the neighborhood that you can go to. Or here's some other churches that do XYZ, might help you with your utilities or whatever. But I feel like if we're more dedicated and give the money to outside organizations that are already developed in the community, like people from like myself that are no longer involved in churches are more apt to give in that manner. Like if we see you working with Planned Parenthood or um, like the free clinic of your city or whatever or like feeding america that sort of thing if we see you donating to that and like being an active part of it and not just donating your money but you're donating your time as well people like me that are outside church community i think we're more apt to be like oh well that's uh, you know a decent church that you know that i would support so it's just something to consider yeah Yeah, well we don't why do we hire contractors why do we hire somebody to to redo your bathroom or your kitchen or your floors or to paint your house it's because somebody else is the expert in it right and then we don't have to reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. we don't and and like there are reasons there like me and my wife we're we're making all these plans for stuff that we want to do in in our home after closing day. Um, but that's honestly because A, we, we kind of like doing it. And B, we're planning at least a month or so in between closing day and us actually moving into the house. And so we've got this time where we're, we're like, we can make the changes that we want to make and we can experiment a little bit. Um, plus we're saving money, right? <laughs> But um, at the same time, if it's if it's a church that ha- that wants community ties, and there's an organization that 
already has those community ties, it literally doesn't take a lot of money to just say, or, or even a lot of effort to just say, hey, and this is what I do whenever I'm meeting with new new college groups or schools um, at for church, is I just go into the meeting and I say, I want to know how we can serve you. What do you need? And maybe we can't give you the the new, brand new 10,000 square foot building that you really actually need. But we can lend you our gym once a week to have a pickup game of basketball. We can do that. Or maybe we can let you borrow some speakers for this event that you've got in a month. Like, there are small ways that churches can partner with community organizations. And again, when us as churches, as church leaders do that, people look at that. Like you were saying, Stacy, people look at that and go, oh, that's something I can get behind. Yeah. That's something I can support. That's something that I like and and want to be a part of. Um, but we we put the stigma on on finances and we say, well, we have to we have to meet our operating budget and we have to meet this and we have to meet that. And like, yes, absolutely we do. But when you talk about that stuff, it turns people off, uh, just plain mm-hmm. and simple. And this is one church leader to whoever's listening is that just turns people off. People don't care if you have to keep the lights on. People care if you are changing lives. People care if you are helping others out. People care if you're being a force in the community. That's what people care about. Keeping the lights on is secondary, if not tertiary yeah. on the list like that Next doesn't even register in people yeah exactly that we, we know overhead is a thing like we know right. overhead is a thing when people when when i was writing grant grant budgets i wasn't putting oh because we have to keep the lights on no i'm what is what what impact am i expected to see exactly. because of what i'm doing yes all the way at the bottom in my in my budget that i'm sending i know overhead <laughs> is a thing right so i'm wondering i'm wondering if if there's a way that um you know from from your various perspectives i'm thinking about in various churches i've been a part of various nonprofits i've been a part of how to deal with the fact that we do have to have some money and we do have to do some kind of planning um and you know being in the country we're in we have to report certain things to the government blah 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 um what do you feel like are ways that we have something like a structured giving program or some, you know, pursue certain ideals without it being the guilt and the shame or without it being like the grand show to demonstrate how faithful we are to God, but instead, like, are there practical ways that, um, that we could look at this, talk about this, that, you know, because again, some people are like, I mean, I, I do have a mortgage pay- payment to make sure that the church makes every month. Um, mm-hmm. And and what have you seen? Um, I'll give a slight example from, from my own church of where, you know, we, we make it clear that, you know, this is the budget every year. And, um, you know, this is how giving has been in the past. And this is what we're aiming to do 
you know, in the coming year. Um, but since we're not a fear-driven and the guilt-driven church, we're leaning, we're trying to lean into this idea of abundance rather than scarcity. Mm-hmm. The idea that there is enough out there. And if, you know, if we as a congregation don't have what we feel like we need, that that's an opportunity for us to find where where are the other sources, you know, like you said, like grants or like other opportunities and so forth, but not where we'd ever turn to the congregation and say, we're going to shut down because you don't give enough money. Um, so I'm just I'm just using that as an example of what uh, what are the ways that that you've heard giving and, and so forth and supporting churches talked about in a way that that is positive or affirming or encouraging or, you know, some, something different than what many of us have experienced so far. I got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> That's a thing. That is a I mean, I know what I would do, but I, what I would feel you do? like, well, my okay thing, yeah. I really think that education of your members is key, is one of the key things. But I mean, I, I think having someone on your staff or at least outsourcing somebody to run your church finances, mm-hmm. I think is key because if you don't have somebody that really knows finances and they're running the church finances, you're not, that's when you're going to be having these talks with your congregation about, we have yep. to shut down, yep. you know, or we have to let so-and-so go off of staff or, you know, we're not going to be able to pay these bills. So I feel like that's the key thing. The second thing is, is really having some sort of maybe basic budgeting class for your members to help them learn for their own personal finances. And I think once you get past that, then you can have a discussion on tithing and so forth. If you have a church of people that can tithe even, because I've been in inner city churches that there aren't people in the church that can tithe and the church is being funded by the higher up organization of the denomination that they're affiliated in. So I feel like, you know, it it comes down to the church being responsible with their money and having somebody in charge of it. And then also educating and not using a financial piece, uh, that particular university. Please don't use that. You know, (laughs) I think it's more of a basic, like, life skills budgeting class that you do for your members that Mm -hmm. that is necessary just to say hey look this is this is what you have coming in this is what you have going out and let's figure out what how to compensate for what's not there and just basic money skills and so forth yeah and with a with a sense that you know not everyone here showing up has a whole lot of money or can just ask a family member for the egg or whatever exactly Yeah, Um, that made me think about there's a church out in California who um, many times churches, many times churches existed before the neighborhoods that they're in became wealthy and valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a church that their primary population are people who are experiencing homelessness. And Mm -hmm. but they have this great, big, beautiful cathedral type church sitting in extremely expensive downtown 
let's say downtown LA. I'm really not sure what, what part of California um, property. And so what they decided to do is to demolish the church, build a parking lot and have church on Sundays in a tent in the parking lot. I love it. Because what ends up happening is the parking lot generates surplus Mm -hmm. for the congregation every Mm -hmm. week because, you know, it's downtown, it's expensive parking. If you just do market rate, you don't even have to gouge people. So the church generates a surplus of money. The primary people aren't necessarily people who um, are, you know, need to come in and sit in a big, expensive cathedral. I mean, nobody necessarily needs to do that, but it's easier to welcome somebody who's walking by a tent than it is to tell them to come up the stairs and go in this dark doorway and down this long hallway to sit on these hard wooden pews. Mm -hmm. And so what they're able to do is have this mobile church set up and give people money out of the surplus that they have because they don't have building expenses. (laughs) They can literally directly give people money because they decided that they would do something completely radical and different. So it, it transgresses a lot of our, a lot of our nostalgia around certain ideas. Sometimes we have an old pipe organ that we're paying thousands of dollars a year to, to keep going. And I'm not saying anything's bad with pipe organs, but also like, are we, are we maintaining an emotional connection? Right. And is it costing something because, well, this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. And what if we did think out of the box on something? So I love that. I really, I love the idea of like getting creative, thinking outside the box. And I know it's really, really hard for agencies, churches to even think about doing that. But, you know, we know maintaining buildings and things like that are expensive. So what else can the church do from a monetary standpoint? I mean, I agree with wholeheartedly with you, Stacey, on having a business person. Um, The church I serve has a, we have a business um, manager that, you know, a paid, paid position, um, but we also were, our building is, is, is pretty large. And so we are in a college town, but also a lot of businesses around. And so we offer, we have two kitchens. Um, so we offer like people are able to businesses, small business owners are able to rent some of our space for, you know, a more affordable price than what they would in, in other avenues. Um, we have a preschool operating. So I think the church has done well on how, on how to think about business. Cause I mean, a church has to think about the business piece, um, and get creative with getting extra income. Um, we have, you know, relationships with the school district. So we're able to kind of, I guess, diversify and not fully just like rely on tithing and things like that. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I would like to see more of is, is more of a, I think, organization with churches in terms of their mission. What exactly, what I mean is I feel like sometimes churches are just like throwing money at so many different things. This Sunday, we're going to give to this. This Sunday, we're going to give to that. And maybe that's not always something wrong, but if you focus, 
if there is a need, I'm big on like needs assessments of your community, like figure out what are the needs, what are, you know, things that you can kind of focus on, because if you can give bigger chunks or focus on a certain project with other agencies, instead of trying to do 50,000 different things in the church, um, I've seen that, you know, where there's so many different, you can't even keep up with all the different avenues and projects that we want to do because we want to be all things and do all things for all people instead of just picking like, you know, a handful of initiatives and being strong in those things in our partnerships with the agencies around us that are doing it. I'm big on collective impact. Um, I mean, that's a whole other thing and model and that I would really like seeing expanded in many communities. But I think, I think there's a lot of rooms for churches to just be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that a kind of a concept I got introduced to a few years ago that um, I've really run to ground and I've started to work with churches on it is creating essentially a nonprofit arm for your church. Mm. And so I'll explain that. Um, typically a church, because it's a religious organization, can't get any sort of government grant. Mm. There's there's nothing, there's really like extremely, extremely few things. And uh, the, the COVID uh, stimulus relief or I guess COVID relief stimuluses are are like the majority of this money. But there's extremely few things that a church can get approved for to receive from the federal or even state governments. And so what some churches are doing, and I think more churches should be doing it, is they're going to this kind of four-tiered model where the church building uh, like the church corporation owns the building property assets of the church. And then there's the church religious entity. Um, and then a church like business entity that actually rents out stuff. And then there's a nonprofit side to this. Um, and that nonprofit side is specifically focused on two things. One receiving government grants for two the purpose of using those grants to better the community around them. So stuff that wouldn't that smaller organizations wouldn't have access to or wouldn't know where to start. Um, churches can kind of, uh, and this will sound bad, take advantage of those things to then help out the community that's around them. So I'll give an example of this. I think in inner city Austin, there's this one church who about 10 years ago kind of came up with this idea. I don't, I don't know if they came up with it, but they were one of the first big churches to do it. And they made this nonprofit organization and they receive grant money every single year. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, they receive grant money to specifically feed homeless people in their community. And so this doesn't come out of the church budget specifically. Um, this is literally just grant money that they had to apply for, but they had to they couldn't be a religiously affiliated organization. They had to be their own separate non-religious 501c3. 
And so they did this, and every single bit of money that they get from this grant, they turn right back out, and they mm-hmm. feed homeless people in their community. And like, like that is one, I think, very powerful way, because they're not the only organization that does this. They're one of several in inner city, I think it's Austin, Texas. But that's one very powerful way that churches can take advantage of these more creative ways, like y'all were saying, of receiving funds from outside. Um, and I can get down a whole rabbit hole. Like I said, I this is this is something that um, I talk to probably probably one or two churches a month on. Is, is figuring out how to set this sort of thing up. Um, it is by no means my my own bread and butter, but there are ways for churches to get creative. Uh, for too long, we've been stuck in this mindset of we, we have to only get tithes. We have to only get um, money from the people who come here. And we've seen that played out through the ages. You know, there were... Uh, at one point, the the Methodist Episcopal Church had to deal with pew rentals, uh, where people actually rented out pews based on how much they gave. And people who gave more money uh, got to sit closer to the pulpit and were holier. Um, and so there are bad ways <laughs> to figure out how to get Absolutely. more money. And then there are good ways. And I, again, I think the best ways to to show your people your impact to show your people what you're doing is by simply saying, Hey, here is what we're doing. Here are the people that we're helping. Here are the, the lives changed. Um, here are, are how many kids are served in kids ministry. Here's how many, uh, 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 starving people we help out. On a regular basis, here's how many people we help with housing on a regular basis, and I'm proud to say that that's one of the reason why one of the reasons why uh, I'm I work at the church I work at is because we're actually pretty good at that. We're we're great at helping people out however we can, and most of the time uh, we we help out an organization or a person. And we sit back saying, we wish we could do more. And so we're also working to do more. We're also working to give more of our budget towards these causes. Um, like food, like, uh, yeah, like food kitchens, like uh, shelters, like uh, crisis pregnancy centers, places that align with our mission and our values and also... Um, really actually show the community what we're doing. And so I guess that would be my my biggest encouragement as again from from one church leader to another is help your church to find places to invest, not just to give. And there's a difference there and we can we can get into that next week between investing and giving. Um find a way to to grab onto one of these things that you mentioned that your church might mention in your mission statement or in your values um, and find a community organization that does one of those things. If your mission statement says that you want to help the, the poor and impoverished, 
then find an organization that is already helping the impoverished in your community. If if your mission statement says that you want to show love to the people around you, then find an organization that is fighting injustice in your community. If if your mission statement says that you just want people to to know the love of Jesus, okay, Jesus said to to take care of the least of these. Find an organization that is again helping out homeless, helping out people who who are uh, hard up, so to speak, and latch onto them. They are already the experts. They are already doing the work. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to try to figure out a new way to do things. You don't have to, and I think we talked about this a, a month or two ago, you don't have to put together a ministry team to uh, start a new ministry and you're going to start with some old ladies praying on Tuesday mornings and then somebody going out on Thursday nights. You don't have to do that because there's already somebody, I promise you, there's already somebody doing it in your community and they're doing it better than you could. <laughs> find them and help to resource them. And most of the time the resourcing is going to be, Hey, open up your, your doors on this evening once a week or once a month or whatever it is. Um, that's, but that's being a better steward of our resources than anything else. That's being generous more so than anything else. Um, and again, we can, we can get into we can get into this for hours and hours and hours. So I'm just, I'm going to leave it there and, and kick it back to Darren. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say there's, there's so much that we, we do want to get into. And um, the, for the rest of, uh, for the rest of this month, we're going to look at this from different perspectives. We're going to dig deeper into this scarcity versus abundance mentality and, and you know you may start hearing that phrase if you haven't already um, in different places as it relates to justice as it relates to how we how we protect what we have and what that look what that could look like um, we're also going to look at what this means in the larger world what does it mean for us to be in a capitalist world we are hearing these buzzwords about marxism and and socialism and and what do those actually mean that is not coming from somebody who stands to profit from you being afraid of all of the ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just looking at what, you know, what this looks like in the, um, at the institutional level, we've tonight been talking about our, our experiences and our perspectives, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can get some nonprofit folks in here. We'll see if we can get, uh, get some other areas and um like as we were talking i was thinking of other leaders that you might want to find a leader like this and partner with them in your community um so we're going to see who we can get on and and if you feel like you want to be on the show no no i'm kidding um (laughs) we do have an email address we'd love to get to know you or hear from you um but yeah i i I say it all the time i i think we all have a have our own individual role in making the world a better place Um, and that means that we have to find what is the unique contribution that we can do and do that as unto God. Um, and so we're hoping that you will join us for the next episode of Church Leaders Roundtable. Um, like us, give us thumbs up, do hearts, um, share us with your friends, um, 
Ooh. you know, they're friends who don't mind us being a little raw and unfiltered. <laughs> but uh, but by all means, anyone who finds this useful, let us know. Um, and we appreciate you tuning in and listening. And we've got a whole lot more goodness on the horizon. And so from Stacy, from Sarah, from Kevin, and from Darren, uh, we love you. And we will see you next time. All right. I don't know how to do. I don't know. How to do. <laughs> no, that was good. That was that was, good. That was fantastic. <laughs> Help me. That was fantastic. We just we didn't have anything to say, so we're like, so we're done. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. We're so glad you were here.